Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Mathedon. Thanks for tuning in. It's marathon season in Boston, and I stretched my runner's legs for a great cause in Jamaica Plain for the nonprofit organization A26 Boston. People go to Jamaica Pond for many reasons. To enjoy the fresh air, take in a scenic view, or spend some time getting close to a loved one. But last Thursday night, it was all about raising money to support the student writing and tutoring programs of A26 Boston. Supporters laced up their sneakers, ready to hit the pavement for A26 Boston's half, 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 half marathon. Capturing the spirit here in Boston of the marathon that sort of sweeps everyone up. Um, but keeping in mind, we're a writing and tutoring organization. So literary is our strength and we're happy to do a walk, jog, run, wheel so that everyone can participate. Headquartered in Eggleston Square, right around the corner from BNN, A26 Boston originally held its half, 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 half marathon in Boston Common. For the last two years, it's taken place at Jamaica Pond. This year's .826 mile run drew out nearly 70 runners of all ages and abilities. But everyone was on the same page on the importance of literacy, with many having a personal connection to the cause. I design children's books and, and people can learn from reading and being read too, um, but uh, the literacy programs um, that 826 organizes are phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. It's the first time I've run the race and I've only been a designer at Charles Bridge for four years, but um, it's a fabulous cause. I'm a retired teacher from the Native Public Schools. Uh, as part of my many years there, at one point I was a reading specialist. I also um, have a degree in uh, gifted and talented education and focusing on uh, the brain. And when you read, uh, you develop your vocabulary, you develop your uh, ability to um, problem solve, your ability to um, be um, discriminating a critique, and uh, it also, in terms of reading fiction, develops your sense of empathy. So it is very, very important that kids uh, be read to um, and that they become lifelong readers. Although I hadn't run for some time, the less than one mile marathon had me feeling confident. Maybe too confident. I don't know if people know, but they used to call me the female Usain Bolt. Participants ran from the JP Boathouse to the St. Perkins Street Pond entrance and back. And somewhere along the route, reality began to set in for me. Almost there, halfway there. <laughs> Fortunately, there was plenty of encouragement and beauty to push runners forward towards the finish line. The gorgeous evening concluded with prizes for the first place finisher, as well as best costume, best finish line pose, highest fundraiser, and sprint fundraiser. However, the greatest prize was the spirit of the evening and the proceeds from the half, 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 half marathon that will directly amplify the voices and stories of K-12 students across Boston. Reporting from Jamaica Plain, I'm out of breath. In Mattapan over the weekend, the first of four MBTA recruiting events drew out hundreds across the city. And their next stop is Opportunity. I'm a true Bostonian and the MBTA has a, a great high ranking. So I, sometimes I would have I been a little bit intimidated, but because you guys are here in my community, five minutes away from me, and you're showing that you're providing all these resources, I'm here for it and I feel like I have a chance. 
Well before 10 a.m. last Saturday, a line had already started in the parking lot of Jubilee Christian Church, where residents from Mattapan and beyond showed up to learn about current work opportunities for the MBTA. For all involved, expectations were high. So was the excitement of having such an accessible hiring event. New MBTA General Manager Phil Eng has big plans for transforming the T, and it all starts with inviting in the community. This is about rebuilding the T, but through the hiring process component that we need. And what we're doing is we're going to the communities. We want to make it easier to apply. We want to make awareness about the needs and the career opportunities at the T. So by coming here today to Manapan, we brought everybody here from all our different functional groups HR, we're making it the online application process here so we can walk them through the process. This is about spreading the news that the T is hiring, T is going to come back, and we want them to be part of the family. So we're here today in Mattapan. This is uh, the MBTA's first community event. It's called our HR on the go. We are here to brand and meet our applicants where they live. This is a unique opportunity for us to promote and um, demystify what it is to work at the T. We not only offer jobs, we offer a career. We're here to skill you, train you, and get you into our organization. After registering, job seekers began their journey by stepping into the MBTA Career Bus, a decommissioned vehicle outfitted with workstations and computers so they could search and apply to jobs. Once off the bus, applicants spoke directly to recruiters and current MBTA employees who could narrow down their search and offer transparency. Being part of the T family finally felt within reach. And I always heard about the T ever since I was growing up, that it's a great program to be in. I always wanted to get into the T actually, but it was so difficult. So having this opportunity to come down and, you know, get learn about the other opportunity they have was exciting. So that's why, you know, I make, it, I make sure that I was here today. I was looking for some roles that are more on the operations side of the house and uh, more in uh, lean analytics and process improvement and I actually had a chance to speak with a recruiter who's looking to recruit for that role so that's been pretty good opportunity here to help them put a face to my name. It really is Boston to its core. They help out so many different people even just in something I guess I don't know if you can really consider it small, but even just with public transportation and just helping people, um, you know, get around and, and get to where they need to go and just, um, you know, building uh, different connections in that regard, like it, it really, it really helps all around, you know, and I kind of, I want to be a part of something that helps uh, with the bigger image of things. Applicants from today just might find themselves in the driving seat of their next position, just like this one. Reporting from Mattapan, I'm Vapa Mapadon with BNN News. The next MBTA event is Saturday, April 22nd at 10 a.m. in Quincy's Wollaston Station, with two more events the following Saturdays in Lynn and Revere. To find out more, mbta.com forward slash careers. The Jewish community of Boston and beyond commemorated the tragic loss of life on Sunday during Yom HaShoah. Allison Abrams DeVito, third generation survivor. With the passing of survivors, we continue to lose the eyewitnesses to history. An entire community vanishes again when a survivor passes away. Yom HaShoah, also known as Holocaust Remembrance Day, is an honored day where Jewish and non-Jewish people gather to remember and pay homage to the six million Jews who lost their lives in history's darkest moments. 
May we draw from the courage of those in the Warsaw Ghetto to stand united, raising our voices collectively against those who would lead us down a road paved with hatred. And may we do this as part of our sacred obligation to the six million and the survivors who we honor today. In Faneuil Hall's Great Hall, this year's commemoration wasn't just about remembrance. It was also about ensuring that the legacy of those lost lives forever. As those who remember the Holocaust firsthand age up, it's now more pertinent than ever to advocate for Holocaust education in the next generation. The world had turned upside down. Cause and effect no longer meant anything. If you can all imagine the worst people you've had the misfortune of meeting in your life, they became the power on top. If you were a Jewish person walking in the street with your coat and your Jewish star and somebody wanted to come up and hit you upside the head and do whatever, you could do nothing. You had no law to refer to. There was no one to protect you. The day represents all of the unknown names, death dates, and locations of deaths that occurred during the years of the Holocaust and honors them through tradition. Yom HaShoah represents all those unknown dates for all the millions that were killed in many different locations on many different dates. Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam, a candle of the Lord is the human soul. From these words, in the book of Proverbs, we take the custom of lighting a candle, a memorial candle, a yurtside candle, on the anniversary of deaths of loved ones. We mourn for those taken from the world during the Holocaust, those that survivors knew and those that we never knew but who are part of us and deserve to be remembered. And just outside, the Holocaust Remembrance Walkthrough Memorial visually represented the staggering numbers of victims taken during this period of hatred and fear. It's a, a remembrance that uh, so many people were needlessly murdered uh, by the Hitler regime, and and it's uh, it's it's painful that uh, any any people could be so cruel to any other person. It's a horrendous part of history that I think happened from a group of people who really were following somebody who just was pure, just an evil person. Women and men working the same job pass through doors like this every day. And yet women are only making 70 cents for every male dollar. BNN News came to Boston's financial district to talk to women about how they feel about the pay inequities. We have a lot of deep systemic issues that are still existing in our society. And I think that it's not something that will go away overnight. I think that a lot of, there's a lot of work and a lot of communities that need to come together to address it. It's definitely demoralizing um, you know that feeling that you get when you know that you put in the work that you are either doing the same at the same level 
on the same quality of the work and you're not being compensated and recognized in the same way as your peer, your colleague, um, it's just affects your life. It, it, you wouldn't be able to even have that work-life balance, for example, because it's just going to affect you in your home, it's going to affect you in your workplace as well. The discrepancy in pay between men and women is not something that can be taken on alone. We asked, how can male counterparts advocate for pay equity? Speak up for your female colleagues and, and speak up in those meetings where um, women are not present or women are not invited to. Uh, because that's the only way that we can get equal footing. I think I can see, you know, in certain industries, there's definitely more of a male-dominated presence. Um, and, you know, I think that um, there, there is thing, barriers like that um, where you kind of look around and you're, you know, one of or the only, you know, female in the room. I think it would be great if they can acknowledge and advocate for that those inequities that are palpable, that are evident that happen. Um, so they need to take that step up and talk about it and try to do more about that, try to get involved in it. And even though women have made major strides in equity, there are still hurdles to jump, especially when it comes to providing resources for working mothers. We have come a long way for sure, but I do agree that there's more work to be done to get to where we really need to be. And I think specifically, you know, in just how we support the women, you know, in how they can show up to work, but also still take care of all the responsibilities that they have in their home lives. There are solutions to this issue, but the path to changing the tide will take work. It even starts with a recruitment process, like not having the same opportunities like barriers starting from the way that the job is described, um, the language that is used to attract um, or to make sure that you are getting you know the candidates that you need particularly women. With pay it's something that I think we need to strive more at in showing that in sharing that. I think salary transparency is the biggest thing that we can do and, and just being really um, being open and honest about the difference between uh, the pay between women and men and, and all people, really. Ultimately, the movement for workplace equity is about equal pay for equal work and accountability for employers to ensure fair opportunities for women. It's not about who you are, it's about your knowledge, it's about the work that you're able to do. It has to come to that. It has to come to that reality and it has nothing to do with with gender or anything else other than the ability to do the work. Kim Borman is the executive director of the Boston Women's Workforce Council, a public-private partnership between the mayor's office and Boston employers dedicated to eliminating the gender racial wage gap. She joined us to talk about the Boston Equal Pay Day on Thursday and how Greater Boston is coming together to end the wage gap. The Boston Women's Workforce Council, or the BWWC, which are both very difficult to say <laughs> fast, uh, started in 2013, really. It was an idea of Mayor Menino's of how to make Boston the best place for working women. And it was an initiative that was then adopted by Mayor Walsh and, again, by Mayor Wu. And it is really a public-private partnership between the Boston Mayor's Office and employers who are dedicated, Greater Boston employers, who are dedicated to closing gender and racial wage gaps. And what we ask 
employers to do is to sign a pledge. Mm -hmm. They sign the 100% talent compact, which really says, in essence, that they will look at their numbers and see what they are, uh, if they have racial and gender wage gaps, and then they'll do something about them. They'll try to do something about them, and we support them in that effort. Mm. And April 20th is Equal Pay Day for Women, specifically in Boston, marking when uh, women will have earned the same amount as men as they did in 2022. Uh, so recent data found that women are earning 30 cents less um, on the dollar than their male counterparts for the same work. Um, and when you look at women of color, it's even more dramatic. It could be anywhere from 35 cents to 55 cents less. Why are we, or why do you believe that we're seeing this discrepancy between the races? And what job sectors is this the most um, apparent? Well, one thing you said, which is true, is that the discrepancy is um, oftentimes for the same job. But there was a law passed in 1963, which I'm sure you're aware of, equal pay for equal work. So mm -hmm. employers tend to be much more... Um, vigilant about whether or not they are paying uh, women the same as men when they're in the same actual job. What happens and how our number is computed, we include that, but we also look at what we call the power gap, which is when you're not advancing women, and particularly women of color, at the same rate as men, you're never going to be able to close that gap because our number is computed really very simply. It's how much are you on average paying your men and how much on average are you paying your women? And then we also look at it by job category and look at it by race. When you do it that way, you're sort of looking both, as I say, horizontally at equal pay for equal work, but also what I'm calling the power gap vertically. Yeah. So again, if you don't have enough women in these senior positions, you're never going to close the gap. So that's, that's how we put it together. Boston Equal Pay Day is based on our data, as opposed to national equal pay days that you've heard of. Right. One was on March 14th, um, which is based on the census data. We think our data is much more accurate because it comes right off the payroll systems, all anonymously, hmm. from our members. We do an analysis, and unfortunately, it's April 20th. In other words, about 110 days later, do, men, do women finally earn what men earned at the end of 2022? And what is Boston Women's Workforce Council actively doing to help end this uh, gender gap? So what we do as an organization is we support the employers who sort of have signed up. We think of them as the heroes who say, yeah, we have a problem and we want to do something about it. So we uh, sponsor events uh, where they can network with other people, Mm -hmm. who are doing the same kind of things um, about what's working and what's not working. We bring in cutting-edge researchers. We bring in practitioners. Uh, we also have conversations with them. And, uh, much of our day is spent on the phone saying, tell us about what's working, tell us what's not, so that we can share it with others. We want to get best practices out there. Because what we found is the way that this goes away or it gets better is when you're intentional about it. Mm. So you have to keep on it. So really, in many ways, the Boston Women's Workforce Council is a way to bring awareness to the issue and make sure that employers are working on it, you know, every day. 
And aside from the, the frustration and the emotional toll that it takes on women, um, knowing that they're not earning what they, what they deserve, um, what impact is this having on our society at large? We talk a lot about the numbers and, you know, um, I think you said it, that, that, uh, women of color in particular, their average wage gap is so much higher than say, um, the white woman's wage gap. You know, what you bring home in your, uh, paycheck is so much more than a number. It, it, it determines where you can live and what schools your kids go to. It can, de- you know, it, it determines whether or not sometimes you have to turn off the heat or turn off the air conditioning in our extreme weather because you, you know, you just don't have enough money for that month. And in a, the worst I think is that in a community like greater Boston, where we have such great health care, it can determine whether or not you can have access to that. So we see the wage gap in so much more of sort of human terms and what it allows people to really do with their lives. And that's why we think it's so important that employers need to try to close it. Can you tell us more in depth about what the 100% talent compact is and how employees can actively support the women who enter their doors every day? So we are always recruiting and looking for new recruits to sign this pledge. And as I said, it's really just a pledge. And so what they can actively do is contact us and we will more than happy talk to them about what it means and the things that we offer and we hope they're beneficial. And we find what employers say to us is, you know, one of the best things about joining the 100% Talent Compact is that it's brought some, it, it, it's been something tangible that I can tell both my employees and my recruits that we're trying to do here. Because frankly, Faith, nobody expects us to go away tomorrow. It takes a really long time. But I do believe employees and I do I think about, is my employer even thinking about this? Are they even trying to do something about this? Mm-hmm. So that's what we try to say about why they should be signing this compact and why they should be working towards the goal and that we will be there every step of the way with them. Dr. Ricky S. Stern is the founder and executive director of E-Inc., the Planet Science Learning and Action Center based in Boston. She visited us in studio to share the upcoming Wild and Scenic Film Festival on Saturday, April 29th, and how E-Inc. is getting young people excited about STEM programs. So E-Inc. is now a almost 20-year organization. And it started uh, with the idea many years ago that uh, I just was running into so many kids who really weren't interested in, didn't care about, didn't know about science. And then this uh, duo of ladies were trying to create an after-school program in Charlestown, ironically, uh, because now I'm back in Charlestown. And um, we went and met them, and they allowed us to just come on in and teach. So we did. And it was um, me and all these kids, they were probably 12, 13 years old. And every day, you know, twice a week, I would go in there and just blow something up or just try to change their perspectives on what was going on and making things and doing things and investigating. It was one of the most fun experiences I ever, you know, and you're making it up. Oh, this looks good. Let's do that with the kids, you know. Mm. So that's sort of how it started. And then 
um, then it got more formal. You know, we uh, got it, we got a space to work out of. We, um, created a small museum space by hand with all the mm. staff. That was really fun in the wharf area. Um, and now we are in Charlestown and, uh, we, we've, uh, created a whole system of teaching by going out to sites. Mm. So we either go to day schools and, you know, day schools, or we go to after school programs, or we have now, uh, so youth teams, and we're all over the city, and we're actually also in Cambridge. We have, uh, this, as of this count this year, post pandemic, we have 32 sites, and we go to those sites weekly. Mm. So every school, um, when we go to the schools, they um, uh, have us there in eight-week cycles, so we do all the fifth grades for eight weeks. And it just, you know, we just keep teaching, 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 but we also have an action component. Hmm. Sounds like such incredible growth. And how uh, does E-Ink work um, exactly with these different education systems, such as the day schools and the after-school Oh, okay, sure. So th- we, what we did is we... Um, we realized we had to take our idea, the one kernel, right? Let's teach tons of science to kids that's hands-on and exciting. And we, we morphed it in different ways for different age groups. So, uh, the goal in the day schools is really to be an extra program in science. The, the system has so much it has to do. It's so, so many things need to go on for kids in schools. And there's so many kids coming from different countries and there's language issues and there's needs at home. And with that whole situation, mm-hmm. you want to know, do the kids get enough science? And they don't. And it's not a negative about the system. It's a negative about, it's not a negative. It's what we're trying to do is just be an extra ad. And the, the systems that love what we do keep us for a really long time mm-hmm. because they need that ad. So that's uh, fantastic. So another exciting way that you're engaging young people and, and the community, uh, next Saturday, April 29th yeah. from 6.30 to 10, yes. uh, it will be the Wild and Scenic Film Festival happening at the Atlantic Wharf. Uh, what inspired you to create this um, science-centered film festival, and what types of films will people see? Thanks for asking that. Um, well, let me say, we, did, we didn't start it in the sense that we found out about it. From, it comes out of California. There was a river keeper, it's called, where they when you get a designation as a wild and scenic uh, desi- it's called, I'm sorry. The, it's the Wild and Scenic Film Festival because there's such a, a designation called the Wild and Scenic River. If your river that you've been taking care of and keeping it clean and getting other people involved with it, and it's it's something that people go to because it's a great pristine spot, you now get the wild and scenic designation for your river. And then mm. those people thought, well, this is great, but we have to keep this up because we don't have enough money to do all the things we want to do with our river. And so they created the film festival. Mm. And first it was just shorts, and then they'd send you these things that you could just make a, a, a whole evening of it. And you would sit down and watch a 100 films and pick and choose, and then they would put it together for you, and you had a night. And it was just great. They would come in the evening, This the, the people that were like this this now. Yes. People are uh, coming to Atlantic Wharf, and they'll have some things to nibble and uh, talk to people, meet people. There'll be some music. Anyway, so that's what we're doing for for, uh, the evening. It's uh, nine films, and each of them is from a different part of the planet, 
Um, and so it's very sweet. Excellent. And what do you hope that people will take away from the film festival? I think it gives us an opportunity to show folks that all across the planet are human beings trying so hard to protect uh, and uh, protect lands, protect beings, um, try to save, um, I don't know, elephants and lions. And, you know, if you've had the chance to go abroad and be in places that have these really unique beings, you just think we, everybody should be able to do that, right? right. Mm -hmm. It should be a gift for every human being. And, um, you know, I personally feel, you know, just for myself, that it, we're in a, a really bad situation on the planet. And we're not, seems to be, we still haven't risen up and decided we're going to push. Hmm. And um, there are several things one could say about that. But the important piece is to get the kids to understand that it's going to be a big problem for them and that it's really important for them to be ready, to be educated, to understand what's coming, because it is coming, and um, I, and to just show all the gorgeous beings to the people at the film festival so that they can say, well, we want to help protect. And that really is the point in the end, right? Mm -hmm. To not lose all the gorgeous beings that we have. That's our broadcast for tonight. Thank you for tuning in, Boston. For BNN News, I'm Faith Maffedon. I'll see you next Friday.